you're listening to the Whitewater Podcast. First off, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. I'm so glad you joined us today for our new series called The Journey. The purpose of this series is to help you see God's heart for you, for our church, have a vision for a life that can be changed by Jesus, and how to know your next step on your spiritual journey. Now, the series is kind of a condensed version of our discipleship class, which really has been designed to help people move toward maturity, spiritual growth. It's a path toward leadership in our church and even membership if you're interested. We're a church that centers on the life and teachings of Jesus. This means that Jesus is our model and our message. We believe Jesus is the light and the lens for how we live a life of love, not religion, not politics, just Jesus and a life of love. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what humans were designed to be, look to Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says this, the Son, Jesus, reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Jesus is a picture of God's heart. He shows us how to know God and how to know ourselves, to know who we were created to be. When we look through the light and lens of Jesus, he illuminates four important questions about the purpose of life and being human. Here they are. Where do I belong? Who and what do I believe? Who am I becoming? And how am I created to be a blessing in our world? We'll be taking the next few weeks to look at how Jesus' life and teachings help us approach these four areas of our lives. Now, our goal is to help you take the next steps in your faith on your journey in these areas, belonging, believing, becoming, and blessing. Before we go any further, I want to talk about walls and wells. I've heard there are two ways to keep cattle in a safe location. One way is to build walls and fences to keep the cattle contained and safe from predators. The other way is to dig a really good watering hole or a well to draw cattle together by their thirst. And so it is with churches and communities. There are two kinds of communities, communities that build walls and fences and communities that build wells. A wall-shaped community is formed by a certain set of questions. This community often asks who's in and who's out. A well-shaped community asks a different set of questions. It asks who's moving toward the well and then who's moving away. Now, these are very different approaches to faith and community. Well-shaped churches tend to create what I'd call bouncers, unintentionally often. But bouncers are often people who are focused on the walls, the walls of religion, keeping the good insiders in and the bad outsiders out by focusing on the policies, the rules, procedures, the theological convictions that determine the insiders and the outsiders. Well-shaped churches tend to focus on helping people move toward the well of life-giving water, no matter where they're at on their journey. Building walls forces people to believe before they can belong. When you build wells, it empowers people to belong before they believe. In this kind of community, you can explore faith at your own pace without having to change you know, all your beliefs to participate, to learn, and to be loved. 
I must add that it's important to note the difference between boundaries and barriers. Barriers or walls are made for the purpose of exclusion, but boundaries are made for the purpose of health. So in our church, a few boundaries would be when we serve food, we usually make sure that people wash their hands and wear gloves. We have background checks for our children's area just to make sure that we have a safe area for our kids, for everybody. So boundaries are for health and they're important. At Whitewater, Jesus is the well of living water and he is at the center of our faith. And we are helping people from all kinds of backgrounds move toward him and with him. When Christians build wall-shaped churches, they are often focused on, like I said, the policies, the rules, the behaviors that enforce religious behavior, but often without ever changing the heart. These walls become symbols that tell us whether we are in or out based on our performance. If we create a community centered on Jesus, the orientation of our heart, our relationship with God, determines the direction of our life and our relationship to Him. Jesus shows and teaches us how to build belonging, inclusive community, and flourishing relationships. Let me just stop for a moment and give you a few questions for reflection. Let's start with where do I belong? First, I want to read this story Jesus told to help us understand this spiritual journey into belonging. This is called the parable of the lost son. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate right now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So here in the story, we immediately see the son basically is saying to his father, I wish you were dead now so I could have my inheritance now. Not a great relationship. And in this culture, this kind of request would have brought tremendous shame on the entire family, onto the father and especially that son. But check this out. The father surprisingly agrees to the request. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This is unheard of in this culture. Fathers never run, and fathers never embrace shameful sons. And in this moment, this surprising father does both. In verse 21, his son says his rehearsed speech to him, 
Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. This means that a whole village is being invited by the family that was a shame on the whole culture and the whole village. This village is invited to celebrate the restoration, not the rejection of this son who, had, who was lost. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. And in all that time, you've never given me one young goat for a feast with my friends. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Like, God, you've never given me a goat to have a feast with my friends. <laughs> Yet the son of yours comes back after squandering your money. Wait, let's think about that. Is it the father's money? Or is it the uh, older brother's money that he's looking forward to inheriting? Be that as it may, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Are you kidding me? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. And now he's found. As you heard this story, what walls are being built in the narrative? And then I would also ask you, what wells are being built in this story? I want to contrast the father and the older son and their response to the younger son. Some of the walls that I see are pride in the younger son as he runs away and then Frustration, sin, shame, brokenness, as he realizes he needs to come back. The older brother has some walls that come up, walls of judgment, hurt, selfishness, bitterness. But the wells being built by the father are unbelievable. This is how we dig or build wells. This is how we bring living water to any situation. Uh, he sees his son from a long way off. He's looking for lost sons. He's compassionate. He has acceptance. He has forgiveness. He embraces. He celebrates. He pursues. He has an undignified run. And he prioritizes the relationship. What other walls have you seen people build in life and in church? Maybe political walls? maybe cultural, racial, or gender walls, maybe even like sin or walls based on other people's history that determine who's in and who's out. Now let's look at how Jesus shows us to overcome these walls through this story about belonging. In this story, when the younger son runs away and realizes how big a mistake he's made and how bad things are, it says he finally came to his senses 
and then he began his return home to his father. This is the story of belonging. In the story, we contrast the father's response with the older brother's response. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go into the party, it says, even though the father begged him. But the son replied, all these years I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. So he uses guilt on the father. You ever seen that? That's like building a wall through guilt. And, and all this time, I, you, you never gave me even one young goat to feast with my friends. You know, this guilt thing keeps getting poured on. Now watch this wall get put up. Verse 30, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, now think about that. Does he know what his brother has done, where he's been, or whether that's even true? No. This is slander. This is what turns into gossip. This is, this is ugly. These are walls being put up by the older brother who's judging and condemning and slandering the brother that he won't even acknowledge. He calls it your son. He doesn't say my brother. Now look at the father's response. In verse 20, the younger brother comes back home. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was looking for him, filled with love, filled with compassion. He ran to me. He pursued him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He brought him back into the fold. I mean, this is unbelievable. How do you dig wells? Um, how do you... Uh, create inclusive community and belonging. We have to stand with the Father longing for lost brothers and sisters to come home. This is how we build wells rather than build walls. So I want you to notice the brother is creating an environment or a family environment where, you, where the, the brother who's run away has to believe and behave in order to belong in the family. Whereas the father allows a journey home that, that says you can belong before you believe or as you believe and as you change your behavior. It doesn't mean they didn't have things to work out. It didn't mean the father wasn't hurt. There wasn't wounds that needed to be worked out. Maybe there needed to be boundaries to be talked about. But the father's response was compassion and restoration. He wanted his son to return. And he had to go out to this other son and say, look it, we got to bring your brother back in. That's how we create a community and a family that builds wells that draw people to Jesus. Check out this story. coolest place in the world you'd think the ultimate cool was being a biker going being free and you know riding riding hard and but why was I so lonely why was I so alone I was newly divorced just searching and searching I was kind of mad at God how dare you take my family away from me? How dare you? It was bitter. So I, I started uh, hanging around people and became joined a bike club, ride pretty hard, and seen a lot of things that shouldn't be seen. And 
knowing in my heart that I wasn't doing right, but looking for acceptance. And you get caught up in that. It's not cool. It's, it's a lonely lifestyle. You see so many empty hearts. They're just searching just like you are. Chris, I just could see the happiness. It seemed like he had peace. Everybody's thinking that I'm just having a good old time and everything else, but I was in misery. Nothing could satisfy my loneliness. You could tell he was sincerely happy, and I wanted a piece of that. And I know, I know how to get it now. Chris called and said, hey, come to Whitewater with me. It's a really good church. You really like it. I was thinking, oh, you know. I went and uh, went, and I've been going ever since. I'm not perfect, but who is? I, I'm just looking for inner peace. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing for me right at this point. I want peace. I, I'm still not, you know, I'm still questioning. I don't know why I'm dragging my feet, but you know, I don't want to be phony. So this is the realism, but there is realism to my journey. And it might not be somebody else's journey, but it's a journey I'm gonna make. In the bike world, you see all these people, and they're all just trying to fit in. You know, they wanted to belong. You know, they would do stuff to belong, and you know, in there, it just didn't feel like anybody belonged to nothing. It was just an empty world. It was sad. And Whitewater opened up. I felt very secure. I didn't feel uneasy. I, I felt like I belonged. And then that made me want to learn a little more instead of putting up a fence. If you're not condemning a person and making them feel terrible about what they have done, anybody can turn around. I'm living proof of that. Here are a few ingredients, or what I think are really, really important uh, for inclusion to happen. And we've learned these as we've done uh, this journey class over the years. And this is from other people's input. So I'm just bringing what others have discovered together. But inclusion requires, or belonging requires, invitation. There's no uh, transformation without invitation. People got to be invited in. Inquiry. People have to have the ability to ask questions and not feel dumb and ask questions to kick the tires and to learn. And um, curiosity and questioning is an important aspect of our faith. Another one is just showing up. 
There's no community if we don't show up. Like you with your family today, or you at church today, you with your group today watching, like you're not doing this. There is no belonging or inclusion if you don't show up in some way. Appreciation of diversity. We got to appreciate our differences, different cultures, backgrounds, all that stuff. Forgiveness, restoration. There's no inclusion or belonging without forgiveness or restoration. And we have to be proactive, not passive. And that's, that leads us to some of the things that kill inclusion and belonging. Passivity, not engaging. Uh, social anxiety sometimes prevents us. It's a barrier to inclusion and belonging. Fear, anger, shame. Like I, I don't think that'd be accepted. Many people come to a group or a church or a family asking, what will people think of me? Will I be accepted? Those all kill community. Here's two other things I think are really important. Belonging requires unity in diversity. The book of Acts chapter 2 says this, I'll pour out my spirit, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all people, meaning no ethnic barriers. God removes those. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. means there's no gender barriers. Like, like there's equality here. And it says your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. There's no generational barrier. God's removing all those things that can separate people. And then it finally says, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. There's no social barriers to people coming into the family of God. We all stand equally at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And this is the mosaic, beautiful, multicultural, multiracial family of God. It's so important that we get that so we can create inclusion and belonging as a community. The last thing I wanted to mention is belonging requires restoration or return. The father forgives and restores. The son returns. And again, it doesn't mean that every, every issue was worked out, but the return had to happen so that they could grow through the hurt, the immaturity, the boundaries, all those types of things. Rather than having to earn his way back, the son could just return as a pure gift of grace. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, I want us to notice that the order isn't everything, but the order changes everything. Notice that the older brother requires the, uh, the lost brother to believe and behave in order to belong. The father flips that order and, and, and creates an environment or family where the son can belong as he believes and changes his behavior. See, the order isn't everything, but the order changes everything. And many times church communities and faith communities and people, can they get the order wrong according to Jesus. Jesus flips that. And it's frustrating because that means like we have to forgive and restore people and kind of get, life gets messy. But oh my goodness, life comes out of it. And I want us to get that. Like we're a church that we reverse the order. We do it in the Jesus way, the kingdom way. So I want to encourage you to take your next step in the journey toward belonging. You know, I want to encourage you to get in a spiritual family. And one of those ways that our church is to get into a group, to have some people you do life with, and you, you're not alone, and you go through, when you go through hardship, you know, or great things, you got people that are going through that with you. You have people who you can learn with, you can grow with, that you can learn to follow Jesus and practice what you're learning together. Guys, it is so important that you don't do life alone. The father loved his family and operated as a family. 
if we're following Jesus, how could we do any different? He put disciples, other people around him. We need a spiritual family to do life with. Get in a group, somehow get people in your life that you can do the journey with. I'll see you next week. Hey, Whitewater family. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining one of our home churches, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.